Hiya, pal. Got an idea. All right, mate, go on. I think we need to evolve the podcast. All right, what you got in mind? Well, why don't we just start recording all the chats we have when we're talking about leadership? Okay, what are we going to call it? Sense makers. Sense makers. Love it. And have we got a backer? Of course we have. Tsunami Sport. Quality. When are we starting? Now, get this end round and I'll put kettle on. Top man, I'll be round in five. Richard Oppenheim is currently Her Majesty's Deputy Ambassador to Saudi Arabia and has recently been appointed as Her Majesty's Ambassador to the Republic of Yemen starting in July 2021. Richard is fluent in two of the hardest languages to learn, Arabic and Japanese. He's passionate about leadership and we can't wait to hear how he adapts his leadership to the culture and context of the country he works in. So Richard, welcome to the show and kids don't often grow up dreaming of being a diplomat. How does that happen? Well, thank you very much for the kind introduction and great to be uh, part of the part of the podcast. Um, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and I, I didn't grow grow up really uh, thinking of being a diplomat either. Um, I think my grandfather was the first person to mention the idea to me when I was 10 or 11 and I didn't really understand what a diplomat did or what it meant um, and didn't really think much more about it until I got to university. Um, and then uh, we had some people come from the, the Foreign Office at the time to visit and tell us about what it was like working in the Foreign Office. And it all sounded quite interesting and attractive. Uh, and so I looked into it a bit more uh, and it led me to actually go and teach English in Japan, if, if that makes any sense, after university. <laughs> Uh, partly as a way to prove to myself that living and working overseas was something that I wanted to do uh, for the long term. And then, uh, and then, yeah, t- two years later, I-, I came back to the UK and um, applied to join the Foreign Office, having done, you know, some more research into, into what it would mean and, and what they were looking for. Um, and uh, it takes quite a-, quite a long time. The process takes about a year um, overall. And uh, at the end of that, I found myself in uh, 2002, uh, sitting in King Charles Street, um, and uh, as a at the time desk officer for uh, EU enlargement, if you can believe that. <laughs> that's all gone. Uh, that's all gone the other way, now. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah, absolutely. So, so tell us a little bit more. For, we, we have plenty of listeners in the international context who are uh, dealing with embassies all the time, and we, we're in international schools. Tell us a bit more about your role as being a diplomat. What does it entail? What are the responsibilities? And, and then bringing leadership into it. So, I mean, I think the biggest thing is variety. There's lots and lots of different jobs that we do. Um, we're, uh, as a diplomat, if you're in the UK, you're essentially a civil servant dealing with foreign policy. Um, uh, and it could be any element of foreign policy. So you're working closely with other colleagues across uh, across Whitehall um, uh, on on the different areas, and they touch on lots of areas, domestic policy, of course, as well, and working with our network of posts overseas. If you're posted overseas, then uh, you often need to know the language that you're working in, um, and you might be a policy officer, somebody dealing with foreign policy, so understanding the foreign policy of the country concerned, um, 
trying to influence that that uh, that country um, in an area of foreign policy. For example, I, I I worked on climate change and energy in Japan at one point, so trying to influence Japan's climate change policy or energy policy um, in line with our the UK's objectives. Um, uh, that it could be an area of foreign policy, um, trying to understand a country's foreign policy and talk to them about um, some of those areas, maybe lobby them on certain issues um, or understand why they, uh, why they are uh, pushing for something, uh, perhaps uh, change their minds or something. Um, and then there are lots of other areas that, uh, of, of work that perhaps people will be more familiar with. So that our consular work, so when we help people uh, in a crisis, I've been involved in a few, um, uh, the one in Japan again, uh, after the March 2011 earthquake was one. Uh, another was the more recent uh, crisis, the pandemic uh, on, on coronavirus, where we helped repatriate uh, 2000 Brits from uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, so so there's lots of, uh, lots of different types of work. And then there's of course management work, there's economic related work. So uh, supporting British businesses to get, um, uh, you know, to get business overseas, uh, encouraging investment from other countries into the UK to create jobs in the UK. So ultimately it's all about um, uh, supporting the UK's objectives to, uh, to be a more secure, more prosperous country. So it's a little bit... It's a little bit more than cocktail parties and skipping airport queues. Then. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mention any cocktail parties. I mean, to be honest, um, you, you know, there are, we do have receptions that we attend and we host as well. Um, but uh, they're, they're quite, they get, they get to be quite, um, quite samey. You know, you go to a few and they're pretty much the same format. So uh, it's really about who's there and who you can meet and, um building those relationships and those networks like in any job you yeah. um you need to build yeah. the networks to be able to have the influence um but yeah it's not as glamorous perhaps as people might think <laughs> uh, as as many yeah. listeners will know from living and working overseas there's a lot of challenges to that from a family perspective and so forth so it's the same for it's us it certainly is you've used i think you've used the word influence a number of times already and leadership is about influence and tell us a bit more about how how you can use leadership strategies and what you do to influence you are influencing policy or influencing people in your organization how important is that word no it's hugely important you're right i mean i think we are we're essentially as diplomats we're salesmen for ideas we're selling ideas we're selling concepts maybe you're selling policies uh, maybe selling an ethos or values um, uh, but we're doing a lot of the same sorts of things as salesmen would do, you know, influencing people. Uh, and as you say, leadership is all about influence. Um, I think, you know, understanding other people is a really good starting point for that. Um, and that goes for both leadership and diplomacy. So understanding where another person is coming from, maybe culturally, linguistically, um, uh, will influence how they uh, how they think and the natural course of of the policy or the way of thinking of that country. And if you can if you can get that across or get your message across in the other person's mother tongue, then you're going to have even more um, mm. ability to impact uh, their way of thinking. 
And, and you started by telling us that you, you, you were um, teaching English in Japan um, and, and now you're in Saudi Arabia in, in Riyadh. Um, which countries have you been in in between and, and what impact have they had on you? Yeah, thanks. A good question. So after, after a year in London, I, I went to uh, New York for three months and worked at the, the UN, our mission to the UN there. Uh, during the busy time of year when we, we uh, negotiate resolutions and we have the, the UN General Assembly where all the leaders meet. Uh, and then after that, I was um, back in London for about nine months Arabic uh, language training before going to uh, uh, Syria, Damascus, uh, for about seven months to carry that on. And that's where I completed, finished my Arabic uh, the first time. Uh, and... Uh, after the exam, I went to Muscat and I was posted to Muscat for about two and a half years um, doing sort of political and uh, press work, communications work. Uh, and then after Oman, I went to Baghdad and I was head of our political team in Baghdad uh, for about a year and a half during 2008, 2009. It was quite an, an eventful time. Uh, and uh, after Baghdad, I went to, um, went to Japan to to do language training for a year. Uh, I already spoke some Japanese, but I needed to, to get up to the right standard. So I did a year of uh, language training in Tokyo before I started as climate change and energy, uh, head of climate change and energy. Uh, three months into that time, we had the earthquake and tsunami and the nuclear disaster, which obviously impacted uh, both personally, but also from a sort of work perspective quite heavily. Uh, and I did that job for about four and a half years, uh, moved on to another job in the same embassy uh, as the foreign policy counsellor uh, for about a year and a half, and then went back to London uh, and became the Commonwealth envoy, which is uh, essentially the, our ambassador to the Commonwealth. So obviously, because Her Majesty the Queen is the head of the Commonwealth, she can't have an ambassador to herself, but we call it the envoy. Um, so, uh, and that was during the time that we hosted the, the, the summit in 2018 for the leaders of the Commonwealth. Uh, and then after that, I came out here to, to Riyadh. So that's the kind of the route that I took to get to where I am now. Wow, that's quite a journey. To tell us about some of the, the constant themes that you've seen through there in terms of your leadership, in terms of interacting with people and the cultures. What are the things that you keep coming back to or you keep noticing regardless of the country that you're in in the world? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think leadership is the same as, and you talked about influence and leadership. I think it's about um, making a connection with people, ultimately. And that's how I see it. Um, and it might be uh, making a connection with someone one-to-one. -one, um, and it could be anyone in, in the team, um, however sort of senior or, or, um, or, or, or junior and, and where, whatever they do. Um, but making a connection to them on, on their level, something that, is important to them that relates to them uh, and um, you know and making that connection that you you understand them you care about them um, you want them to uh, you want to improve uh, things for them and that you're working together on the joint organizational goals and and making sure they understand what their part is in that but it's really about that connection that where it starts from how do you get that right in different cultures because there are obviously a lot of subtleties and nuances in different countries cultures languages to be aware of to not be aware of 
you know, just looking down the list there, you've mentioned six or seven different countries that you've been in for a relatively short period of time. How do you get an understanding of, of those nuances and how to make those connections so quickly? And, and what, what things help you to do that? First thing is listening, I think. Um, and I think, uh, you know, there's, a, there's this maxim about listening twice as much as you speak. And I think it, as, a listen, as a leader, that's really important. Um, so listening to people. Um, you do build up, um, build up understanding uh, over time of of a, of a region, say, um, and a culture, and that helps you the next time you go back to that that region. So some of things that you learn in a place like Syria or Oman will be relevant in a place like Saudi Arabia. They won't be the same exactly, but they'll be relevant. There'll be similarities, um, and the language is a really important. Uh, part of that. And I think to understand a culture properly, you have to learn the language to really understand it. Um, and to understand the language properly, you have to learn the culture. So there are two things that are completely uh, intertwined. And I've been lucky enough to learn uh, five languages. Um, and I think it helps you to, um, to understand the culture that you're, uh, that you're operating in if you, if you speak the language. So that can be a really helpful starting point. But listening is the first rule. Yeah, you talked off air, Richard, just about your love of learning. And to, to learn five languages, you've got to love learning. Because it's, <laughs> it's I, I, Luis and I, we've, we've lived in various different countries. And I can honestly say I've, I've not picked up as much as I should have done, to be quite honest. I'm a little bit embarrassed that I'm not fluent in Spanish, that I don't know more, more Tagalog, that I don't know more Arabic. There'll be people that question our English, Alan, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that, that love of learning, Richard, where, where does that come from? Um, I think the more you learn, the more you want to learn. Yeah. So, and I think, I think you know, we're lucky in the, in the foreign, uh, uh, foreign office or the FCDO as we are now. I think we're lucky that we, um, we have the opportunity to learn languages. Uh, for many of the jobs, uh, you learn the language of the country that you're going to uh, before you go and take the job up. Uh, and that is for most, for mo in most circumstances, that is your full time job is just to focus on learning the language. I'm actually in the situation at the moment where I'm relearning Arabic or, or getting my Arabic back up to the standard I need it to be ahead of my next job and doing my current job, which is a real slog, to be honest. And that is yeah. that is very hard. Um, but I think um, earlier in my career, when I was able to just focus on Arabic or just focus on Japanese, it's actually really hard. It's quite an emotional experience um, because you become quite isolated. Um, you don't have the, the opportunity to, um, to sort of use your learning in the same way that you can in a job. Um, and you're constantly, I call it eating. You're doing a lot of eating. So you're taking on a lot of information. You're soaking up a lot. And you're not really getting to to run and sort of burn all of that energy that you've soaked up, and so it can be quite overwhelming at times when you're doing the the, the full time language uh, learning. But then you get to actually use it, and it becomes a tool, and and it's a really powerful one. To have used it in, you know, you mentioned Baghdad, you mentioned uh, Damascus in Syria. You know, you're about to move to Yemen. You know, talk about leading with courage. You know, you're traveling with some courage there, going into potentially very dangerous situations. What, what drives your thinking behind that? Is that around the love of learning? Is that around being brave and taking risks? 
what, what's the motivating factor for you to, to find yourself in some of those places and make the decisions to go there? Um, I mean, I, I think most people join the Foreign Office to make a difference and make a positive a difference in the world. And that's certainly part of why I joined, um, to make a positive contribution um, uh, uh, for the UK in the world. Um, and often the places where there is most trouble are the places where you feel like you can make the biggest contribution. So those become attractive um, in the opportunity to, to have, a, to have a, a difference and make a difference for you know, large numbers of people or, or, or in people's lives. Um, and, you know, we're very well looked after. And, um, yeah, there, I think there are sometimes Syria at the time was actually a lovely place to be. It wasn't, didn't feel dangerous um, at all. Um, there were challenges and hardships, but it wasn't, it wasn't dangerous. Iraq was, was dangerous, um, but um, we had very good um, uh, arrangements, security arrangements. And I think um, that helps a lot to know that, um, to know that you will be kept safe. Um, and of course, I was nervous the first time. And I think it's, that's the kind of thing you get used to. Um, and once you're there, you don't really think about very much because you're there with a group of, uh, a group of colleagues who become friends and, and you're in it together. I, I think overall courage and leadership it's an important concept. Um, uh, and for me, um, courage and leadership is partly about um, being open and honest about the fact that no one's perfect and that we all make mistakes and um, uh, being courageous about admitting when you've made a mistake and um, the fact that you're also working on, <clears throat> on some things to get better at some things, um, uh, just like everyone else. And I think that's that's a really important uh, factor in in leadership. Um, another another element of courage in leadership is um, the importance of trusting your team and delegating things to them, uh, giving them support that they need, but not trying to do everything yourself. Uh, and again, not being the expert sometimes and relying on others, um, taking the responsibility for the results overall because you're the leader and this, the buck stops with you. But um, uh, relying on people to um, to do things um, uh, that maybe you don't fully understand, um, uh, and and relying on that expertise uh, uh, does take does take courage. You 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 talk there, Richard, about delegation and and, and no one's perfect, and and trying to share responsibility in sort of a distributed leadership model. Now you've worked in hierarchical societies like Japan, and, and certainly I'm noticing in Saudi it's very hierarchical as well. How do you how do your values then have to then fit into that context where they're expecting you as the leader to lead and not expecting to have an opinion or to have any value? Yeah, it's a really good question, and and it does definitely apply in in certain contexts. I think. Um, in, uh, in Iraq, it was really quite stark, sometimes with the local staff who had not only from that, uh, from that culture that is naturally more hierarchical, um, a lot of Eastern cultures are. You know, there's a lot of parallels between culture in the Middle East and culture in Japan, for example. Um, but uh, also um, uh, the sort of regime, the Saddam Hussein regime had been one where if you said what you really thought or you gave an opinion that wasn't the right one, you'd, you'd be in trouble. So people were not used to giving their opinions. And that was a really real challenge is, is how do you, 
um, encourage people that um, that giving their their opinions are wanted, even when they're not the same as yours, and 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 it's okay to have a different opinion. You have to be quite a lot more explicit about that and sort of talk people through it, and really take time to listen to their perspective. And sometimes you don't quite get there. You know, there was one member of staff in Japan who insisted on calling the ambassador ambassador and the ambassador wanted to be called David that was his name uh, by internal people and he would still just refuse and um, uh, it was a point of respect and it was a point about hierarchy and a point about you know uh, how you demonstrate your respect in, a, in the Japanese culture um, and in the Japanese culture it's about um, demonstrating that you understand the hierarchy and you understand where you sit in the hierarchy um, and that's how you demonstrate respect. In our culture, yeah. you demonstrate respect by uh, treating everyone equally. So the ambassador is David because that's a mark of respect that he is, um, he is showing us in, in our culture. And those are just different um, deep culture values. So I think understanding some of those, um, there's a really good um, author and, and, um, and writer, interculturalist, who's a good friend of mine, who I actually met in Japan called Joseph Scholes. And he's done some great work on how the brain develops. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's quite scientific. You can do quite a lot of work now that's possible because of science and technology that we, how, and we understand how the brain works and develops. Um, but the deep culture um, uh, part of our brains is very important and it's where our values come from. Um, and I think the most important thing when you come across a different set of deep culture values is is not to judge them as being better or worse than your own, but to be receptive and open to them being, uh, that, is, that is what they accept them, that is what they are in this culture. You might not like them and you might prefer to stick to your own or another, but those are the deep culture, of, uh, that is the deep culture of this particular country. Um, and I can talk for hours about deep culture, but I won't. <laughs> That's another podcast, I think, that one, uh, Richard. Yeah. But, uh, I, I, we've worked across many countries, all of us who are sat here now, and that reception and that, that openness and, and being able to adapt, is that what diplomacy is in your role? I, I think it makes you more effective as a diplomat, definitely. Um, it's probably the difference between a good civil servant and a good diplomat. Um, we have... Uh, a couple of uh, competencies. So we have various civil service competencies that um, are one of the ways we judge uh, performance within in the civil service and in the foreign uh, FCDO, the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office. Um, and uh, there are two extras in the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office that you don't get in the other rest of civil service. And one of them is engaging internationally. And I think we've been talking a lot this morning about the engaging internationally competence and um and how you use that in the job but there are lots of other uh, important competences about how we do our work um you know um, which all have an, a relevance to 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 leadership as well fantastic you, you talked off air earlier about the importance of of, of reflection as being mm. a, a reflective leader could you tell us a bit more about that yeah um i think we were talking at a time about lo what i called lifelong learning so one of the important things for me about learning is that you want to keep learning and you want to continue that desire to continue to learn um, is the starting point for continued improvement 
you know, wherever you are in your leadership journey. And, and that I think is about being conscious of the opportunities that we all have each day to learn. So it might just be a meeting, you know, we, we have dozens of meetings every week. Um, are you thinking before that meeting, how, what can you try doing differently in the meeting? Um, uh, how can you um, use the opportunity of that meeting to work on something that maybe you're, you're trying to get better at doing? And how can you maybe get some feedback about that afterwards? So perhaps you can ask a colleague before the meeting, uh, mention that you're planning to try something uh, and, uh, and then ask them for feedback immediately after the meeting. How did that come across? Uh, how could I try doing it differently? Those kind of um, conscious uh, ways of learning within what you're doing now. So rather than going on a, a course or anything, actually most of the learning can be done in, in the job that you're doing now if you're really thinking about it. It's a really interesting one, feedback, isn't it? It's, uh, it, it, it's received so very differently by different people and, it, and, it, and it's uh, provided in obviously so many different ways in a myriad of, of, of different ways. What's been your go-to's for feedback when you've been giving feedback to others? Um, and, and, and what can you apply in, in, in your day-to-day -day life in terms of that lifelong learning sort of ethos? Yeah, so, I mean, feedback's the whole nother podcast again, but I, it's, it's a really important uh, element of leadership for me and creating a culture of feedback. Um, one, one way is to sort of, and I do this, uh, sharing your own development points, sharing your weaknesses with people um, to demonstrate that everyone uh, is still learning and we all need to get feedback from each other to understand uh, how we can improve um, because we don't see ourselves as everyone else sees us. Um, so it, updating our own view of ourselves by understanding how other people see us uh, is an important uh, element. I think um, uh, I, I talk about feedback as a gift um, uh, sometimes. And I think you know, it's a real skill to give feedback as well as to receive it. So it, 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 it's not always easy to receive feedback and it's not always easy to give it. Um, but I think if you think of it in that way, it, it's a gift um, that you uh, you give it in that spirit, um, designed in a way to help the person. Um, you asked how I how I how I sort of develop ways of giving feedback um, most effectively. I think um, talking about the the behaviour uh, or what happened uh, rather than the person uh, can help. Um, because it was something that they did, it doesn't mean that the person that they are is, um, is, is sort of negative. It means that something that they did had a, if you're talking about constructive feedback, um, something that they did had a, an impact on someone else. So, you know, if it was a positive impact, then that's positive feedback. And if it was a, a negative impact, then it, we, we call it constructive feedback. Um, I think um, being really honest and clear about what happened and why, you know, and how it impacted somebody else and why it had that impact um, uh, and asking the person for their view on it and how they might do it differently and, and what their thoughts are. That, that's a, uh, often a good way. So, so don't, don't sort of beat around the bush, be honest and clear about what, it, what, what the issue is, but, don't, but at the same time, don't personalize it. Keep it um, neutral in terms of the person themselves. Uh, and often there's, there's a reason why somebody's behaving in a certain way. So um, understanding 
what is going on in that person's life can also be really important to understanding the context for for what happened. I'm right. I'm just scribbling away furiously here because there's so many takeaways and exit points from that. Can I bring that back to context? Because yeah. giving feedback in different cultures can mm -hmm. vary and the perception that I mean, we, we were in the Philippines, we referred to it as Pinoy pride. It's a very mm -hmm. similar thing in, in, yeah. in, in Arabia and about if there's a negative, it's not construed in a certain way. I, can you just tell us how, how you can do that across these yeah. different contexts? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think um, focusing on the impact is a, is, is a good way because you can do it in, in, in a way that sort of says, well, this is the impact it had on the other person. This is the feedback I got from the other person or this other person. This is the impact it had on them. And there isn't really much debate about that. It's that is what they said. And that is that is what the impact was. It might be very different to the intent of the person that you're talking to. Um, and it, you can recognize that. But the, the fact is that the, something that they did or said had an impact on someone else. Now, yeah, I, I think the cultural element is important. And I found sometimes, again, language was useful for that in Japan, for example. Um, Japan is a very, um, I, I, I think of it like a feather. It, it, it's a very, um, as a language, it's, it's quite um, nuanced and misty and, and, and gentle. Uh, and you, you say things, you sort of allude, in, allude to things, usually not saying them very directly. Um, <laughs> English is a, is a scalpel. I mean, it's very precise and it can be quite sharp. Um, so it's almost the opposite. And so I would use with my team, I would use English in some contexts and Japanese in others. And sometimes I found that to have a conversation about how the team was feeling about something, I would use Japanese because they would be able to express it um, uh, much more easily in, in Japanese. Whereas if I was having a conversation about policy or our objectives or something that I wanted to be specific about, English was much better. So I think you can you can use language as a as a tool of leadership internally as well as externally. I really like it's, that analogy of, of a feather and a scalpel. Um, I, th I think that's superb. I really like that. I'm just trying to think of how if you just use the scalpel, if you just if you just use English, <laughs> how how skillfully and how thoughtfully do you have to decide on the pressure of that scalpel? You know. And what, what words do you use to, like you've said already there, you alluded to per, like depersonifying the, the feedback and talking more about behaviours. Ultimately, the, the intent that you have and the impact you have by providing feedback, you know, will also be sometimes a mismatch. How do you go in there with the right intent and, and try your best to guarantee that the impact you have on that person is positive? Yeah, and I think you have to understand the person, first of all. And within any culture, there's lots of different types of people. And, and, and as a leader, knowing your team and knowing your team strengths and weaknesses is an important, um, important element. Uh, knowing your own position, your own authority. I talked about a feather and, um, earlier. Um, another way of thinking about the feather is in, in terms of leadership. And I'd sometimes talk about um, wielding a feather and a hammer. 
So if you're if you're very senior in an organization, then your lead your authority is much heavier for the people that you're leading. Uh, and so that means you have to wield it more lightly. You have to wield it like a feather. And so uh, uh, even a, even something, a sort of word of warning that might feel quite light for you can be quite heavy for the other person just because of who you are and the fact that there's no further recourse to any other anyone else in the system. So I think understanding that um, uh, uh, and and how you how you give that how you give that feedback. Um, uh, is important. I'm trying to sort of be specific because uh, I, I think, as I say, I think I would I would sit sit someone down uh, and maybe say, you know, I've I've got some feedback to share with you that I've heard from another colleague or another set of colleagues, and uh, um, I want to share it with you in the spirit of uh, supporting your development. And you know, I have feedback um, and I have development too. It's important for all of us, and just try and get onto a level ground where you. There's a recognition that no one's perfect is a starting point that that shared truth is a very important starting point and then from there you can start to talk about the specifics and uh you need to you need to give enough specifics that the other person can remember the whatever it was that happened the thing that happened or the, or the number of things that happened uh incidents that happened that they can remember those so ideally you want it to be soon enough after that that um they can remember it um, and then it's about getting them to move into the, the person's shoes that shared the feedback, if it's constructive feedback. So getting them to think about, well, how must it have felt from their perspective? How might it have felt if you were in their shoes to, to have that said to them or done to them? Uh, and, uh, you know, if you can start to get them to empathize with the, with the other person, then they will begin to see that, maybe their intent didn't translate into what, because ultimately I think it's important to come from a place that by and large people have positive intent. They want to make a positive impact around, but they just don't always know how to do it. And they don't always have the intent, the impact that they intended to have for various reasons. So helping them to understand that, you know that their intent was positive um, and your intent about helping them is positive, but the reality of what happened was a bit different and that's why we need to work on it together so you've got a sort of shared problem that you're working on together and it's not about you attacking them as a person it's about this shared problem that we're working on together so you have a kind of you have a basis for the conversation that's that's not emotional it's uh, and it doesn't feel it doesn't make them feel like they have to be defensive or makes them feel less likely that they have to be, be defensive about it yeah, so you, you, you essentially create a third party to work with or on together. Yeah. The, the, that kind of, yeah, the, 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 there are lots of takeaways and, and there's loads of areas we could we could explore with you here, Richard. And one of the things that I wanted to touch upon is, is something that you mentioned to us off air um, and, and it's very much something you're alluding to here around kindness and where that fits in as a leader. Obviously, what you've just discussed here in terms of feedback of empathy in terms of sharing problems with colleagues is very kind it is caring it is coming from a place of of trying to support and having positive intentions it's also coming from a, a place of assuming positive intentions how important is kindness in the relationships that you have with people for me i think it's an one of the fundamental parts of my leadership and i think um it's also important 
in the wider organization, uh, we've got uh, our current leader, the, the permanent undersecretary, uh, wrote a blog recently about kindness. Um, and I think it's important for lots of reasons, but one of them is that it, it's, it's the way to get the best out of people, um, in my view. Um, one of the ways to get the best out of people um, is that you are coming from a place of wanting to support people, wanting to um, give people the best chance that they can have um, and being patient. And um, sometimes it's hard when you're, you're, you're next on the block and the, something's happened, somebody's let you down or they haven't quite delivered um, as, as everyone intended. Um, it can be difficult to be patient and often leaders have high standards um, and they want others to match those standards. Um, but if you want to get the best out of people and to, and to help them reach those standards, being, uh, being kind is, is a, I think, an important part of that. Um, uh, helping people deliver the best they can every day um, and understanding them, understanding their Trump, you know, challenges. I think at the moment it's even more important in the context of the pandemic, you know, uh, people working from home, split families, uh, homeschooling um, for a whole year plus um, is really uh, having an impact on, on people um, in, in, their, in their home lives as well as their work lives. Um, and so the kindness um, that we can show them, supporting them in those kinds of areas um, is even more important than, than normal. And do you have specific daily practices that you consciously do, Richard, to, to, to make sure that you're kind, to make sure that you're on top of this? Or is, does this come from a place of, you know, quiet support, of listening, of patience, of timing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all that. I think it's, I think, um, you know, it's about being the best version of yourself that you can each day as a leader. Um, uh, you have to be yourself and... Uh, uh, and, and I, I think naturally I'm probably a, quite a caring person, so that that helps. But um, sometimes it's about sort of biting your lip and being patient and and just giving yourself a moment and just remembering um, that the impact that saying what you really think might have on that person. Uh, sometimes you have to to mask your real frustrations um and have outlets you know have people that you can talk to have trusted feedback loops people that can i do reverse mentoring i find that really helpful so it's where um so a colleague a more junior colleague will mentor me and um and tell me how my leadership is coming across um uh, and that gives me a bit of an insight into how what the chatter is about my leadership what people are saying uh, about being led by me how I can do it better, and it's a safe space for them to be uh, to give feedback. Obviously, you need to choose your reverse mentors carefully. And <laughs> focus on the people, perhaps the more trenchant uh, colleagues are the best ones, the ones who don't mind saying what they think, being honest. Um, uh, that's that's brave, Richard. That is cool idea. Yeah. brave. It's brave important. idea. I love it. We've done three six, can't we, Lewis, in the past, <clears throat> and it's but. I've never, I've not heard of that before. I've, I've almost uh, reverse mentoring. I, I, I love that idea, really do. Yeah, it, I have three it, reverse mentors, um, different oh, wow. ones from, yeah, within the, within the organisation, um, and uh, yeah, it's really powerful. I think it, it, um, it really helps to understand um, 
uh, understand what people really think and and how they um, how your leadership is viewed by others. And again, you have to adopt all of the what I've been saying. That uh, you know, you have to sort of live your own live your own mantra uh, in yeah. terms of uh, being open to that feedback and um, uh, understanding that it's it's meant in a in a positive spirit. Um, yeah. it, it's a brilliant concept and. Obviously, you're going to be taking up your your new post very soon in Yemen, where you're going to be effectively what is the top man. Your your head is on the block. There's no one then who's going to be above you in that chain for that particular country. What 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 are you going to do straight away? I mean, me and Lewis had this where we went into new schools, and mm. you think I've got this done. I've got this slides done. I've got this presentation. I'm going to say these things. What's the, what's the process? What are you going to do when you first get into that job? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, um, I'm lucky in that um, part of the team is already in Riyadh. So I'm going to be staying in Riyadh. Um, uh, there are other colleagues in Glasgow, London and Amman. So it's quite a split network. Um, so I've got a few ideas about how I'm going to try and connect with people. Again, I talked about connection earlier, how I can make that connection. I've already done one presentation, a Petra Kutcher style presentation um, on me and who I am, where I come from, uh, yeah. a little bit about my, my background, my, what I like doing, my character, um, uh, and why it's like that maybe a bit, um, and, uh, and also um, how I like to work uh, to give people a flavor of, of maybe make it easier for them to make that connection I'm, I'm very much hoping to be able to meet everyone in person uh, before I start and, and sort of have individual conversations with people. Um, and then I think it's about, um, you know, first of all, telling people that uh, a, a new team, and this goes for any new team that I lead, um, that I, I assume competence. So I, I, I'm lucky to be leading a talented team of committed people who I'm going to rely on. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to working with them and I, I trust their advice. And I think one of the things, important things about leadership for me is assuming competence. So that means that you assume that the people that you're leading are good at what they do and they're giving you good advice and you trust that and, you know, you assume competence. And I find that really motivating if my leaders are, are doing that and saying that. I've worked for some leaders who are the opposite, um, who you, they assume incompetence. And that's really quite demotivating, you know, if, if, if you have a leader who basically you have to prove that you're good at what you do before they actually trust, trust you. Um, so that's a really important point for me as, as, at the beginning of a, of a position like this. It, that's, it's very interesting. I, I was listening to um, the boss of Mercedes res, recently on a podcast, Tito Wolf, and he said he took over Mercedes, who at that point had gone through a period of change, change, change. They weren't very successful. And he came in and did a presentation at the start and he outlined his vision and, and all sorts. And the team walked off and they'd heard, he said they'd heard it, three previous owners doing similar thing. And what they were looking for then were actions and not words. So how does that translate for you? Yeah, um, and absolutely. It's... it's uh... It's what you do every day and how you respond. So how do you respond when people give you feedback, constructive feedback as a leader? Are you, are you receptive to that and do you change? Um, uh, so for example, I, I had some uh, constructive feedback in my last appraisal. So I mentioned it in the team meeting and said, you know, I, this is, I understand this is the feedback 
or some of the feedback for me. And so I'm going to do this differently. And this is how I'm going to change in order to respond to that um, and make sure that, um, you know, it, make sure that my leadership is more effective for people. So being open and then, and then actually doing it, um, I think is really important. Um, and yeah, and I think um, it's about what you're doing every single day and how you're, how you're behaving with people. Um, because as a leader, and I didn't talk about this yet, but it's important. I, you have to think of yourself as on stage every minute of every day that you um, are at work. People are looking to you to set the tone. They're looking for little signs of, um, you know, how you greet people in the morning, how, how you are in meetings, how you're sitting, you know, how your body language is in meetings. All of that is setting the tone for people. They're looking to you for, for leadership. Um, and it can be exhausting. You know, you, you have to give time to yourself to make sure that you can recharge your batteries because um, it can be quite exhausting. Um, but it's actually um, those small things can make a big difference. You know, a, a, a kind word or a thanks. Um, well done, you know, and um, let's try Let's try this. Let's do this again. And that kind of those encouraging words can make a really big difference to people. Um, uh, at the same time as maybe a, a joke that was meant as a joke um, that's taken uh, taken seriously or some can also be really damaging to people if you're in a leadership position. So you just have to be thinking all the time that um, that you're setting the model, you're modeling behaviors. That's really powerful. And I, I was just thinking there is if you're not being authentic, it must be even more exhausting. <laughs> yeah. No, and absolutely. And you, that's why I don't think it's sustainable to be someone that you're not. So you have to be honest. The reason you're in the leadership position is because you've been effective as yourself um, doing what you're doing. Um, so you have to have confidence in, in the best version of you is, is good enough for this job, first of all. Um, so there's no need to become someone else or try to become someone else. There's lots of things you can learn from other people and pick up and an element of uh, things that you can, you can, uh, you can do. But, um, and that's the bit about being the best version of yourself, being the most patient version of Richard Oppenheim or whatever it might be. But um, ultimately you're still Richard, you're still you and you shouldn't try and be anyone else. Um, uh, and, and that's, you know, Often when I talk about leadership, that's that's what I finish on is to say, actually, this is about being the best version of you that you can be. But don't try and be anyone else. Be yourself. Be confident in yourself and um, and accept that none of us are perfect and um, we're all still learning. But that that's good enough. Yeah, absolutely love that. And that'll lead us lovely on to the to the quick fire questions to finish now, Richard. We, we love this one where. You'll probably have a lovely insight on this. Three world leaders, dead or alive, that you'd love to then go out and share a meal with and some of the things you'd talk about. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, well, Nelson Mandela sort of was the first person in my mind. Um, Popular choice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, fantastic leader. Somebody who sort of came from uh so many years of um, terrific challenge and then you know had to sort of take on that leadership position after after that so 
yeah, understanding that journey would, you know, uh, he, there's a great book actually that um, that uh, that uh, sort of sets some of it out. Um, I'm, I've been reading. Um, <clears throat> so he would have been he would have been great. Um, I think um, I'm, I'm quite into history, so some someone like um, Horatio Nelson or someone who's a, a sort of military leader would have been would be great as well. Um, That's the first Nelson we've had Keynes in '43, isn't it? That's great. Yeah, yeah. I would. I think it would be interesting to hear because uh, I think um, in the military it's a sort of life or death uh, situation and leadership becomes quite different. Um, you, you have to kind of pair it back to its kind of naked yeah. self almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's raw. Um, so understanding, understanding that I think would be, um, would be really interesting. Um, and yeah, I'm a Manchester United supporter, so I think Sir Alex uh, only done a great book. Sir Alex Ferguson, I think sports leadership is another really interesting one. Um, so yeah, talking to him about his journey and his his philosophy on leadership, because again, it's all about getting the best out of people. That's really what it's about, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think Mandela and Alex are the two most popular ones, Lewis. What do you reckon? Had a few, haven't we? Had Had you, have you? Have you? Yes, interesting. We have. Um, I've got one for you. Last one, Richard. If, if you were to um, have a billboard and you could write anything on that billboard by the side of a, a busy motorway, what, what would you have written on there? What phrase or maxim would you put on there? Um, maybe the one I've been saying a lot at the moment, definitely the one I've been saying, be, be kind to yourself and each other. Because it's hard to be kind to other people if you're not kind to yourself and you don't give yourself the space and the room to um, to recharge uh, and um, yeah and and sort of manage your energy um, and uh, and being kind to each other makes everyone's lives better. So I think uh, be kind to yourself and each other. Brilliant, Richard. Thanks, thanks a lot for joining us this morning. We really appreciate your time and uh, all the best with uh, closing in your role in, in Saudi and on your move to Yemen too. Thank you. No, it's been great, great fun. And uh, yeah, thank you both. Uh, and, and all the best with, uh, with the series. Thank you very much. Good man, Richard. Thank listening to Sensemakers brought to you by the Infinite Learners podcast and backed by Tsunami, the number one ego kit provider for schools worldwide. You can learn more about Tsunami by, by visiting tsunami-sport.com and if you want to hear more from the Infinite Learners you can find us on your favourite podcast platform including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Until next time, we'll see you.